Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with your hosts, Tim and Jacko. So it is 112 in old money. That's 112, Timbo. And we have a special guest, only the second person we've had on the podcast for the second time. It is our friend and movement and mobility specialist or expert or master, uh, Ollie Frost. And if you listen to the end, you'll find out why he's not being invited on for a third little trip around the podcast block. Tim, yeah, there's, there's something to wait for at the end where he, Tim, Tim gives him a little telling off. Um, but you'll find out what that's about if you listen to the end. We love our conversations with Ollie. He's such an interesting guy to chat to and his approach and philosophy around movement and how he can, um, he uses it in his own life. He uses it with clients that he's working with and then the recommendations of ways that we can also start to think about moving better. So many people come to us in calisthenics and they struggle with their quality of movement, getting into the right positions. And this is um, a really good podcast in terms of thinking about who how do you apply this information to your life so that you can actually start to move better? We talk about physical longevity, investing in your physical pension. There's a ton of this sort of stuff in there, um, but ultimately living life now and having a great time doing it because you can move well. And to use his words, being more human. Um, and one of the, one of the big takeaways um, I think from this, and I won't sort of spoil it, but it's just the fact that a lot of people ask us around, they, they, they know that they need to do a little bit more of this mobility and, and, and uh, being able to control better, larger range of motion, but they're just not quite sure how that fits in. And Ollie's approach is very much, um, it's, it's not a one size fits all, but what one bit of advice that he's got is, Every single hour of the day is an opportunity for you to move and stop thinking that we have to do all these things separately and think about how can I integrate them into my current program or more importantly and more holistically, how can I bring it into my every day? Uh, that being said, if you want to come and learn a little bit more from Ollie and us, we are actually teaming up uh, together to do a joint workshop that is going to be in London on the 7th of March. Um, it's a full day from uh, 12 till 5 p.m. where we're going to cover the movement and mobility uh, with Ollie and then how that transcends into the strength progressions for calisthenics. Sounds amazing. So sit back and enjoy Ollie Frost for the second time. It'll be the last time on the School of Calisthenics podcast with Tim and Jacko. Roll that jingle. Ollie, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you on again. Thank you very much for having me back on. It's always a pleasure. I would like to say you're the first person that we've had on twice, but we actually did have uh, Dr. Sally Bell on twice. But you're the second person that's come on twice. You were obviously that good and impressed the first time. Incredibly prestigious honour <laughs> to be back on twice. We call it the double. Um, so, but for anyone that um, doesn't know who Ollie Frost is um, and didn't get the chance to listen to the first one, um, I think there's, there's been a lot of new listeners to the podcast recently. Um, in a nutshell... Um, who is Ollie Frost and, and what does movement mean mean to him? So um, thanks for having me on first and foremost. Um, I am a movement coach based in London at the moment. Uh, he specialises in helping people uh, increase their longevity through different various practices of movement. Um, and that might be fundamental movement skills or more advanced uh, gymnastic-based um, skills um, and kind of working with people on an individual basis to help them lead a healthier and more pain-free life as a overall goal and be more human is my most common hashtag and that's what I like to kind of um, get out there is to be a better human and move and think like one as well. 
Yeah, be, yeah. Being, I've seen that before about from you saying being a better human. It actually links in nicely to a phrase that Tim has used a lot more recently when we're talking about longevity, and that is investing in your physical pension. Um, and I think that that's where so much of our our um, values on and, and view of training and movement um, align, and that's why you know we've we've connected really well. Plus, the fact of just a, the uh, for people listening, like. When you see Ollie um, move, and um, I'm sure you go and check out his, his Instagram, we'll put all links to that in um, in the uh, in the show notes. But I know Ollie from we both used to play rugby, and he played for we played in the same sort of time. And it's it's testament to how what what you've done with your training and what you've done with your body post rugby to see the difference it makes. Whereas a lot of the time, I know when I first. Um, seen some of your stuff on uh, that you were doing from a, from a movement perspective, I was like, man, how how have you gone from from rugby into that? And I guess um, just touch on that briefly, like what was what was that like? Uh, it was definitely an eye opening experience. I think playing rugby, um, you get super efficient in quite a short range, um, whether that's doing lots of heavy lifting or power based work, which is great. Obviously, that's reflective of what you do on a rugby pitch. And then I think there's a big area which doesn't um, get covered uh, as much, which is sort of the um, bit more of the prehab, rehab side of it. And if you're injured when you play sport, you know, you, you usually follow a quite a, um, a rigid plan. But if you don't, you just kind of go through the motions. And I think that's where there's a big gap for all sport is to take mobility a bit more seriously because uh, it has such a big effect, not just from a performance base, but just from a lifestyle uh, point of view as well. And play lots of rugby, uh, did no mobility, no stretching um, for about four or five years. Uh, left rugby and went on a couple of really cool courses and then soon realised that I had very limited um, range of motion and I was pretty strong but in a very short range. And um, I guess it's been a bit of a self-discovery um, for the last four, four or years or so to get back to being a bit more flexible. Before rugby, um, I did a lot of dancing and um, contemporary theatre work so I think I was trying to get back into how I used to kind of move as a kid and um, trying to iron out some of the issues which you get from lifting weights four or five times a week and playing rugby and being more human yeah Ollie one thing that we talk about from a in a, in a sort of strength and condition circles and and, um, and physiotherapists are sort of on, on board with the idea as well and I'm keen to get your take on it is this continuum of, of the of the phrase of mobility stability strength um, often as sort of practitioners working with people writing training programs a strength and condition coaching traditionally was very much down the strength component of that like you experience in rugby like get strong and that solves all your problems you just doesn't matter you we can work around anything else um whereas potentially there's sometimes people have gone too far down the mobility kind of um, aspect and, and not incorporated the strength what does that mobility stability strength continuum sort of look like for you in your practice or what is your philosophy around those three sort of um components um, when mobility um, is is structured in a in a way which is um, um, how to put this, mobility really is flexibility but strength. So there's a, been a big misconception around mobility. I think in previous years to having kind of yoga traits, uh, warm up type roles, um, doesn't it's quite passive. So mobility done properly is is quite quite taxing on your nervous system um and it involves a lot of active control and i think 
getting that across to a wider audience is quite difficult. That's why, obviously, doing things like we do together and doing the online courses, and it gets that message across that mobility isn't kind of a fluffy way of training. Um, it's a it's a structure, it's a system, uh, it's derived by science when you use it properly. Um, and that amount of loading time has the same effect as uh, you doing strength training or power training when you load something from a mechanical side you do get the output which you create from you know certain um loads so it's 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 a big um, misconception about what is mobility and it isn't actually that complicated to do however it's not done rigidly enough to begin with um so the in in reference to this is frc that's the end range that's the mobility protocol which i use on a daily basis and then the other movement stuff i do wherever that's yoga capoeira dance gymnastic like you call it whatever you want it's just in in, in like a movement box that's quite passive and then the mobility is the really hard sort of uh, knuckle down approach to the, the really specific and um, joint work yeah, I want to come back to that because you mentioned FRC. I've got a specific question around that um, that I want to follow up on. Um, so I like the phrase that you said there around uh, mobility is flexibility and strength sort of combined, seeing that, that, that is, um, those two things coming together. So often in strength training, we talk about the importance of being able to get below 90 degrees in a squat, for example. And, and a lot of strength work is often done in quite set patterns. Deadlift, squat, we might venture into some lunge variations. Something that I'm starting to play around with a bit more, and Jacko sort of like inspired me with some of the stuff that he's doing. But looking at sort of different ranges of movement, um, but creating more strength adaptation within them. So an example would be sort of a real deep sort of lateral lunge, always pretty much going into a Cossack, sitting down on, onto the heel, even into pistols and, and those kind of range of movement, but starting to add load into those ranges. Now you're never going to do a deep Cossack lateral lunge um, with as much weight as you would be looking to back squat. But mm. do you think getting strength and, and creating a sort of overload in those patterns, providing you have the range of movement to do it is of value from a being a better human perspective? Yeah, definitely. And I think you don't have to actually load your body with any external load to create mobility as well. So in FRC, a big one about creating this intra-abdominal pressure is the irradiation sort of phase. It's a natural way of producing um, lots and um, yielding lots of tension throughout your whole body. So when you create that tension, that's almost as if you're um, externally lifting a, a object off the floor. However, you are producing that tension within yourself. So a big one they do is the cars and the control articular rotations. So if you do the cars in a way which is prescribed from FRC, which is very slow, um, you're controlling lots of stuff through your body. And that's through intra-abdominal pressure. That's through different breath work. And that is meant to yield isometric or um, better feedback through your brain and creating better signal pathways, which over time, creates um the uh, the adaptation so i guess when you're doing lots of and i'm trying to put it in the, in a simple sense if you do um german volume training you do 10 turns you, you know you add on the weight over the weeks and you progressively load the body and that's producing more um um sort of motor units into the area you get better mechanical receptors where you get better signal pathways 
And that in itself creates a, an adaptation from a strength point of view. With mobility, you're doing essentially the same thing, but you're producing that from an from a intra-abdominal pressure point of view, or you're trying to basically create as much tension for your whole body. So yeah. if, if you produce an arm circle with no movement, you just flop it around, that's just movement. That's like almost you're doing a deadlift with no weight on the bar. When you add weight on the bar, that's the FRC's way of creating irradiation. And that's hard to get your head around because you don't see people um, who do FRC practice work, you, you don't see them with lots of load. And you think, well, how does this get you stronger? And what you don't see is them producing this force, which they're doing themselves during the movement. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things that you can watch someone doing something and then you could replicate it. But you're, from what you're saying, that like you're, can, you're doing the same motion, but the the demand you're requiring and the output that you're going to get from it is going to be very different depending on how you do it, which to be fair is probably, probably the same as a lot of exercise. I'm sort of people ask like, is this good or is that bad? And, um, the reality is you can do anything well and you can do anything poorly. And it's, and I think what, what underpins all these things is like understanding what it is that you're trying to do, knowing how to do it correctly and then actually doing it, doing it properly and you'll you'll get what you train for so if you move with good quality control you're going to get it better good quality control. you move poorly or flaccid like you, you you just are going to get what you train for whether it is you know it's a nice example you said whether it is mobility whether it is strength and we're saying well actually the strength element are, are important to both those things and then actually being strong the movement is important for those things if you want to be strong in in certain ranges i think and, yeah, yeah go on. I was just going to say, just um, maybe make it a bit simpler to understand what I said the previous is to think about um, someone doing ballet. And if, if you went and watched a ballet um, dancer train, they would do lots of end range work, for example. They yeah. would do really slow, controlled work. They're not thinking about the, the process of FRC because FRC has only been around for four or five years. Ballet has been around for a long, long yeah. time. But it's the same principle. It's obviously been scientifically boxed up through FRC. Yeah. But it's the same kind of loading principle where the, the movements are so controlled and usually, usually the movement is isolated as well. So that's what mobility is. And that's that slow control way of you providing your nervous system with more information, creating better neural pathways, which then as the governor of your whole movement gives your body more confidence and more trust to move in different positions. And when you do things really fast, your body kind of doesn't log that. When you do things slow and controlled, you create this intra-abdominal pressure. You create this um, overall um, ele element of control, I guess, and you get the result you, you want, which takes time and doesn't happen overnight. So, yeah, that, yeah that's what I would compare it to. Yeah. From a, um, from a strength perspective, as Tim was talking about, um, and, you know, he highlighted that the, the importance of move, uh, that mobility being flexibility and strength combined, having strength in those end ranges, um the other thing from from my perspective when i've been doing stuff i find passive like there's there's recent you know you've got research on like all different types of stretching and protocols that will go you can do static stretching and hamstring and over a six week period you'll improve the range but what happens after that but is sort of by the by in in the argument of all sorts of different types of things can help improve range of motion i personally find being 
doing static stretching or more passive things, I just don't find them that exciting. I don't find them interesting, which one means I'm not then going to do them very effectively. Two, I'm not going to do them very consistently. Um, whereas, and it doesn't have to be, as you say, with adding additional load, but just being, if I want to do some work um, to help my uh, adductors for my straddle position or something like that, or my pancake, like I certainly find moving in and out of those shapes and challenging me, not strength because I'm lifting 100 kilos, it's just the strength to maintain my own body weight. But yeah. in these deeper positions, um, I just find it so much more interesting at the same time. So like I'm... I'm going to then do more of it and be more effective with it than if I was to just do a static stretch in that position. So I know yeah. that's, you know, there's some differences in how we do it, but also I'm just, for me, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people out there as well that they, they don't stick to um, good warm up routines or good movement sort of prep routines because, and mobility routines, because they actually, they're not, they're not doing something that they're finding stimulating and they fall away from that side of it. Mm. I think it's when you do things slower, you have a better awareness of your body. So if yeah. you so you you mentally focus, and if, if you're using basic breath work, so you're slowing your breath down, going into more of a therapeutic breath, then your your connection to the movement is much better, and you kind of um, you, you make a mind body connection between yourself and the movement in a much more articulate way. If you just go through movement quite fast is if you're trying to just jump to the next step all the time, whether that's doing other exercise, the focus isn't there. So that's why I say if you do mobility training, you have to have the same intent and focus as if you're doing your a really high level back squat or something, because that's the the integrity you need to have that change. And that change is going to take time because your body, your nervous system doesn't really want to have all this to yield in tension and pressure. It wants to relax and survive and you know, just, just be quite lazy, really. So this mm. active control, and on top of that, a thousand distractions in your mind anyway, it's quite hard. So it takes time. It takes a different kind of mindset. But if you're prepared to put the work in, then the results are great. So I'm going to, I want to come back to that point in a second, Ollie, um, around sort of implementation and incorporating some of this sort of stuff into a training session. Just before we go, we had a question through from a friend of ours um, called Ellie, who lives in Seattle. Um, one of an absolute legend, and he, and he was sort of aware now of, of as, as FRC and functional range conditioning has become more sort of prevalent within with health and, and fitness and training, um, it's become with a few acronyms. And he, he got in touch and he said, um, I don't know what pales is or rails or cars, like what's the glossary of some of these, these terms? So can we start like just breaking down some of that and then... I'm also really keen to get your input on how do we incorporate those into a training session? And I, I really appreciate what you're saying around training for more mobility, but what if someone is training for strength, for example, but then also wants to include some of these in that same session? Do they work together? Is it need a separate strategy? Or um, ultimately, how do we sort of link all of this stuff together? So uh, start off with your definitions. Give us, yeah, give us so, a you um, on that. So cars is um, controlled articular rotations, and that's the uh, the premise of uh, making and uh, ensuring that the that the joint um, works like a joint. So making sure that the hip can rotationally um, move in all directions with control. And that's going back to what I've mentioned before. When you do cars, you need to be under high amounts of um, isometric load and tension that's your body's way of producing this strength which you don't see obviously physically but you're producing that um, and that over time so obviously where the two bones meet you've got a space and where where the capsule um, sort of works 
the movement for you, you need to basically create more workspace within the capsule to, to move. So if you've got a hip capsule and it's quite tight, for example, or tight, it's just not moved in the main directions previously, you live in a very sagittal plane, you do lots of flexion and extension, but you, do, you don't do lots of rotational work for the hip, then the hip's obviously gonna feel quite tight. So cars is a great way to implement rotational training to your everyday life, which then has a big crossover to how you move because you can tolerate different loads and positions in different areas. So that's CARS. CARS is like a maintenance way of keeping all your joints throughout your body healthy. Um, yeah. Great. Yeah. So, and then touch on, I've, I've just got three examples. There might be some others, but I've, I often think people are probably hearing the, the terms pails and rails a bit more regularly. Yeah. So pails is um, progressive angular isometric load and, and rails is regressive um, isometric angular load. So it's a... It's a format which is used to, again, yield more tension and it's directional sort of force to where it's you won't, again, see things move. So it's obviously very hard to see if you're watching things on Instagram. But the, but the idea, again, the premise is that we're meant to, before you do pails and rails, you'll do a passive stretch for two minutes. Then you will offer the joint a directional um, um load again to work into so pails for example would be usually um, pushing into a surface area or using gravity rails is that is then going to shorten the tissue so pails is lengthening progressive and then the regressive element is the shortening phase once you've done both sets of contractions it's a kind of a bit similar to pnf where you will where pnf you will just like squeeze 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 everything really really hard and then you'll exhale on the exercise, you, you'd hope to get more range of motion from convincing your nervous system that it's more happy to be in that position. Pales rails is a bit more accurate and, it's, and it, it's, it's a bit more um, specific to the joint which you're trying to work in that example. So if you're working the hip, you would do two sets of sets and then you would hope you would get more workspace within the joint to play around in. Um, so if someone came to me and their shoulders were really, really tight and they couldn't do a nice control circle for their uh, shoulder joint, then I would say we need to do some more pails and rails to create more space actually within the joint before we do the cars. Because if you just do the cars and there's no actual space for the joint to move, 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 and then cars can also be quite difficult. So you can pair cars and pails and rails stuff together. You can also put this work in, um, in between sets if you didn't want to do it as a session on its own. So if you're doing back squats, you could superset it with some hip cars or some pails and rails type movements. Um, it would it work if, work as well potentially as a sort of prep work and, and warm up for something you were going to do? You know, so if someone's going to do a handstand session that they might want to do, they might want to just do some stuff to prep the joint for some of these end range positions that we're going to be getting into. Would it work nicely in that? Yeah, I think for handstands, especially upper body um, end range, that's great because you're trying to produce the, you know, a, a really nice shape, and that's going to have to, um, and that's going to have to, you're going to have to basically produce a lot of force anyway to be in that position. So if you're doing end range tasks before that, and that could prep you nicely for those, um, you know, hollow body holds, for example, is a good is a good example of a whole body tension exercise. That's yeah. going to work really well with a shoulder exercise, which then would go well into your handstand prep. Yeah, I think because we get a lot of questions from people where they 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 see it too much as a separate entity and aren't thinking about 
actually how do we integrate how do we integrate all these things into the same into the same session or the same philosophy um and or, or program and as we sort of said right at the beginning all these different things the movement the the raw movement we need to stop thinking about movement as these just different yeah. like <laughs> sections, subsections yeah, was, and, and like as, as much as i love frc that was also labeled as well yeah so, and obviously, the more people get aware of it, it's great. But then they also go down a path of like believing that FRC is the only way to get flexible and strong. So, yeah. like, wait, loaded connected stretching has been around since I don't know the 80s or 70s in gymnastics. It's not like a new thing. Yeah. It's 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 very very cleverly developed. And the guy who's developed it, Dr. Andrew Spinet, has done a great job at at developing a system which is backed up from science. He's provided references and research papers to go with this evidence so yeah. it's he's not is but this people have been practicing end range movements for years yeah. it's just now it's popular and it's now been packaged up and now it's like something you can go and buy <laughs> but essentially it's it's what we it's it's an easy way for people to understand the the process of it but really you could call it anything you know it's just names of different ways of convincing your nervous system that it's going to be safer to be in a position yeah yeah no 100 percent. there was um one thing then that you mentioned um a few times um and i've been re have you read uh the book oxygen advantage no oh that'd be that was, it, it's uh yeah but so there's um you mentioned about use like the breath work in terms of um in terms of creating some of that inter-abdominal pressure like talk us through a little bit of that that if someone's listening and going okay i understand that there's something is important here about what i'm actually doing with breath i'm not even sure what i'm doing when i'm doing these doing my exercises like am i supposed to be holding my breath or breathing from a diaphragm like what's the difference between breathing through the diaphragm why are we going to be doing that and and what might that actually look like to put into practice um so to put it simply when obviously when we're first born the first thing we do is breathe and we don't ever get much information after that stage so we, we kind of go through this life of just you know we we use breath in lots of different ways so when we go into a stressful situation we go into a fight or flight and that one would be a quite a short breath and that would be quite a upper sort of you know chest um, um yeah. rate of breath work which creates a kind of a panic state when you're about to go to sleep you obviously breathe much slower and that would go into more your rest and digest obviously you can't just be asleep the whole day you can't just be like your fight or flight so i think the diaphragmic breath work will enable you to be a little bit in between sometimes when you're training you need a little bit of the, the more of the deeper breath work so you can control the range of motion sometimes you need a little bit more of the tension so to, maybe that might mean you're going to try to cause a little bit more um stability so you might brace a little bit more that might mean that you're holding your breath or you're doing some short breathing but for the mobility I would lean more towards the um, the deeper breath work, and that's using the diaphragm. So when you're trying to breathe, it's breathing from the stomach first. So you're trying to basically laterally uh, expand the rib cage, a lateral expansion, and then you're trying to uh, breathe back into the stomach. So instead of taking a big uh, inhalation out where your chest and your shoulders rise up, and then just do like a like that it's more of a smaller inhale larger exhale and you're trying to utilize the diaphragm um in a much more efficient way and that will will put you in a more of a calm state um and when you're in that state and you're doing active training 
that's going to provide your brain with good information and good sort of signals that you are moving in a, in, 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 in a safe and controlled way, I guess. It doesn't feel like it's under stress. Because if you yeah. did pause and you did... I don't know, your body isn't making the right connections to, to the movement where we want to provide the brain with good information that it feels safe the whole time. The more the brain feels safe, the greater access you'll get to range of motion. So you said before, should this be used as a warm-up activity? Well, your mobility should obviously be cold, so it shouldn't be reflective of, of a warm-up or a cool-down. You should earn the right to be flexible at any given time, give yeah. or take. Yeah, that's the premise of it anyway. Yeah, just then, then. Sorry, final question then on the breathing. When you talked yeah. about sort of creating um, uh, tension or pressure, um, like into abdominal pressure, are we, um, or what would what would the what would a breath count look like for? Would you be? Would it be an in breath for like the entire rep, or just where do, where do, where would someone sit in terms of? That? I think it's very individual, but to get to like a therapeutic breath, you would be doing sort of two or three breaths a minute, and that might be a four-second inhale, four-second exhale. Um, and then like the drills I do with clients, I try and get them to do um, just when we're lying on the floor to try and um, be able to like inhale for five, six seconds, then trying to hold their breath for a couple of seconds, and then trying to exhale for six, seven, eight seconds if they can then that would demonstrate that they've got really good control through their whole sort of pathway in um, diaphragm. Um, yeah. And then when you're doing the cars, I, or any particular movement, I would just do two or three on the inhale, depending on how I feel, and then maybe three or four on the exhale. Yeah. But you're not necessarily linking those to the, to the, to the rep that you're doing. It's not like you're trying to do a certain number per rep. You just, just you breathing, just have, you're breathing yeah. and you're controlling yeah. it. Yeah. 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 I don't, um, I kind of have an idea of reps in my head, but I don't usually prescribe reps. It's all right in individual. Um, I have a time allotted to like passive stretching and depending on who I'm working with will dictate to how much or how I think that how much they should do give or take. There's obviously rough guidelines. Yeah. I think once you get into this a bit deeper, you kind of realize that numbers don't really matter and that you kind of work because you're trying to move in a certain way. And that might yeah. be a little bit more on one area. If one day you might pull it back on another day. It's already individual to how you feel. Yeah, yeah. And when we've done stuff together, it's been it's been a case of not reps and sets and numbers because the number is actually irrelevant. It's more to do with the quality of of the movement, and that's yeah. what I, that was one of the biggest things that I took away from from mm. some of the time that we've done stuff together, which has been great. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm just conscious that for, for some people listening to this already, that if they are new to this and, and sort of discovering some of this terminology and these um, approaches for the first time, um, from a top level perspective, if someone wants to improve the way they move, they want to improve mobility, um, what are the, like, the key things they need to, to think about? Because the, the danger is that they sort of listen to this and go, crack, I'm just going to go keep doing what I'm already doing because this just sounds like too big a change. Mm. So if someone wants to make those steps forwards towards moving better, is there some like top level things that really just make a big difference? Like, for example, someone will ask a question, what supplements should I take? Well, the first thing I want to know is, are you sleeping well? What's your basic nutrition like? Um, these sort of like first principles. Is there anything that, that people could really take away and go, right, that's where I'm going to start. I'm going to pick that up first and, and I can build from that point. I think aside from movement, it's your, um, it's your mindset towards starting to change. So if you, if you think that this is too much or you, you're not ready to make a serious change and you won't make a good change anyway, so you might get 
a hundred drills sent to you, but because you were just like, oh, I'm not really in the right space for it, then you're never going to accept like that change to begin with. So I think there's a lot of factors which come into, you know, like your perception on movement, what you really feel about it, you know, in your environment, are you, in, you know, do you feel like it's an environment where you can really enjoy your movement properly, you know, things like that. And I think all these things have a big uh, implication. Obviously you, you mentioned stress, sleep, all these factors have a big ability to how you feel on a daily basis. So, and then I think a, a sort of addressing those and just looking at yourself and what are your goals. And if you've been stuck in a position for a long time where you haven't had a great mobility, then I would look at those factors first. I would look at like, what's my sleep like? What's my nutrition like? What's my day-to-day -day stuff like? How, 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 how can I make simple changes first? and then pair those with very simple movement tasks as well. And then the movement I would just describe is, when you do very simple movements like squat, put your arms over your head, reach, roll on the floor, do you feel like an area feels blocked or restricted or do you feel a little bit tight and stiff? And then if you do, that would indicate that you might have not have um, experienced your body in a way that it should have been. And that's multi-directional movement patterns. Um, and that's why I don't want to just people fall into the FRC box because sometimes I don't start with FRC with new clients. It will start with just how do you feel just moving on the floor? How do you feel just doing rape, just listening to your body? And then you can kind of build a bit of a picture from it. So if you've had a tight or a chronically stiff back for forever, then things to look at would be, do you, do you commute a lot to work? Do you walk a lot? what's your footwear like you know do you take a lot of medication do you sleep well do you so i think there's a lot of things you can do without having to just go crazy into all the technical knowledge look at your lifestyle then start to adjust very basic movement patterns first yeah and i think it's interesting you mentioned about uh, the mindset because i think a lot of stuff when you're introducing something new either people are going to look for it to be an additional thing to what they're going to do because it's an opportunity cost for a lot of people it's, it's gonna for some people making a shift they might have an allotted amount of time which they can dedicate to training and then to go and to start on a process like this where it is actually quite focused work it's not just like throwing a bit of a, a quick stretch in before you get into the main part of your session there's it to require some intention and some focus but that's potentially going to come at a cost of something else. We find the same thing in calisthenics. People are like, oh, I still want to kind of lift weights, but can I also learn to handstand? I'm like, yeah, of course you can, but it's just going to be the, the amount of time that you've got to dedicate to those things might just need to, to switch. And, and that's why I think we really kind of enjoy that, that phrase of investing in your physical pension because often people aren't that bothered about some things until it becomes a problem. Um, but I'm sure you would agree that an, an our sort of thing um, that we sort of want to encourage people towards is being proactive about this sort of stuff. You might not need it now, but you are going to need it at some point. Guaranteed, you're going to need to move better in your later years and, and you'll be thankful for making that, that change now. I just think it's starting to get people to encourage them to think that there is going to come a time where this is going to be the most important thing in their life, potentially. Yeah. And I like the way that you... You just mentioned it, like it's not you're using you've got a whole you've got a range of movement and mobility tools in your toolbox and it's using what's applicable to to the to the client that you're working with or the people mm -hmm. that we're working with and that will look different for different people but also having just like the foundation movements in place like you know like i said what are you like moving but is it just is it is do you have one option and that's basically sitting and other than that, you don't really have anything else and, and building yeah. it and then up slowly. Yeah. This mm. is great. And I think it's, you know, just looking at your movement like a child would. So, you know, if you look at someone who's kids, you 
roll around and they play, it's such an amazing thing to look at because their creativity of movement is brilliant. Obviously, as we get older, we lose all this innovation to move and we get very um, sedentary and we get life. And it's like we almost like accept that we are in a place where we're just going to get stiff, which is a ridiculous thing to think about because yeah. your body is this amazing adaptable tool which changes throughout the day you know, almost every second so um the more you can just implement and then that's why i you know like i love frc but like i don't want to ever be known as an frc trainer because i think there's so much other valuable things in the toolbox like you mentioned so balance skills you know um just rolling playing jumping you know you, all these tasks which we do on a, on a daily basis and if they don't feel very fluid and they feel quite stiff and stuck, then this might be time to look at your how you're training, how you're sleeping, how you're sitting throughout the day, because these are all contributing to your to your um, to your most common posture and your most common issue or complaint. My last question, and again, like, uh, Jacko, just sort of wrap up because there's something else we want to talk about. So one of the phrases that we use, um, Ollie, is, is a little bit around training of going, how can we do the least amount of work to get the most amount of change? Um, because from a training perspective with athletes in the, in our, in the history that we've done, we don't want to keep them in the gym longer than what we need them to be in there because it just decreases the amount of time they've got for recovery. Um, how does that principle apply to um to, to mobility training how do we really get the biggest bang for our book in the least amount of time because we know that time is actually probably one of the most valuable commodities that we we have in our lives i think it's priority again so if you if 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 you haven't moved out or you don't move well and you you think you're busy or you haven't got enough time then you're just going to be stuck in that mindset for your whole life i think if you if you start looking at movement again not in a box don't think about it this has to be an extra thing start integrating it from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. So if you can get up in the morning and do five minutes of some hip work and some spine work, that's five minutes done. If you weren't doing that yesterday, that's every single day, that's half an hour a week. And then you're just going to build on this. And then you might do something in your gym session. You might grab 10 minutes at lunch. You know, like for me, I just try and move all day and just try and be as creative as I can because having spent a time where I did very sedentary linear training, and how I feel now is completely different. And I can't recommend it enough to anybody who wants to live a more pain-free existence and a more movement uh, from a movement perspective. It's just to be um, more active in different ways throughout the day. Um, and that might be putting it in a box. That might just be you being more conscious of movement in general. Yeah, I remember, I remember you saying that or, or seeing that a while ago where you... Um, it might have actually been actually maybe mentioned it the last time on the podcast of going, I actually don't think about... I don't do like whole sessions of training as much these as actually just try to see from when I wake up to when I go to bed again, that time I'm awake is just, it's all opportunity. It's all time that's been created for me as an opportunity to, to move and move and move better. Um, and I love that because it, that starts to take away some of the barriers of going, well, I haven't got time to do this. We go, well, just it's how your, your perception of this and your perception of time and how you're using it. Um, I think so, yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry. I mean, just, just to be like, you know, nitpicky with people, but if you go on your smartphone, if you've got an iPhone <laughs> and uh, you are, you know, you, you, you are to see, go on your, um, your usage apps and say you've, you spent X amount of time on this app, then surely that's time where that wasn't hugely contributing to your life, but you could have been doing that, doing five minutes of hip work and some squats, just for example. So, yeah. yeah if you're willing to spend time on your phone scrolling, isn't that time where you can be doing, doing something else? And I just don't, 
I, I, I don't take the whole busy thing. If you've got kids, mm. get, get on the floor with them and start playing with them. Simple as that. Just be active. Don't sit on the sofa. Sit, crawl around with them. Be more active, you know, and just, it's a mindset thing. Again, it's, it's not in a box. It should be the way you live your life, right? The way you eat healthy should be the way you have your, your movement diet should be the same. You shouldn't be deficient in, 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 in any areas. You should nourish your body with movement every single day like you do. Try to sleep well and eat well. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful no, I like beautiful. that yeah totally um we've had a number there's been we've had a number of uh guests that then the ones that we tend to gravitate to or, or everyone seems to uh i don't know if we're gravitating to each other but this the more we talk with people and we start to get a little bit deeper past like the surface level of oh, i'm a movement coach it starts to come it comes to this holistic approach of going all these things all these things are whether we're talk are, are all relevant they're all playing a part on your specialism whether you know we're thinking of like tony riddle and we've had doctors on and we've had yourself on where all different disciplines but we're all actually come back to this like holistic approach going look at all the things that are inputting into your life and try to do a good job on all of them um yeah so often ollie what we what we say is um people have the opportunity to you know go and check you out on instagram or check the website out whatever uh, the person has but we have even a better opportunity uh, with yourself because we have uh, joined forces combined we've got um a workshop that we're doing together movement mobility and strength progressions where we're going to be looking at some of the looking at linking these um these these drills techniques and mobility exercises that you have and how um, we can use them and then take them into the realms of calisthenics and looking at some of the progressions through those so linking those two things nicely together it's the first one we've done together but we're really excited about it, and that's on the the 7th of march um you just give people a quick heads up of like what they're if they're interested they can come and actually experience this in person what that what they can come to expect yeah i mean i think it's going to be great and i think that sort of incorporating the um you know like the functional side of the mobility aspects how it then links over to your um calisthenics and your end range movements is going to be brilliant because usually obviously like you know a lot of people have the applications to keep going through the the effort to get to a certain level but sometimes it's not the effort which is stopping them it could be a block in the joint or it could be a little bit of restriction so if you can understand very simple ways to unlock these kind of um, blockages, so to speak, then hopefully that will get you better results in your handstand, in your flag, um, in your planches, and, you know, sort of trying to unlock different joints and diff- different mechanisms of how to achieve this. It's going to be great. Yeah, no, we're looking we're looking forward to that too. And, um, yeah, all, just to sort of say, or reiterate, they're like all levels and abilities um, are welcome. The details for it are... Uh, so whether you're a beginner or whether you you, you are more uh, advanced, um, all all abilities and levels welcome. The details for that are on the website, which we'll put in the show notes. Um, and also we'll put your uh, Ollie's Instagram in the show notes as well so that people can um, find you. Ollie Frost PT, if I'm not mistaken. That's it, yeah. Yeah. He's um, got a blue tick. He's got, yeah, he's got a blue tick, <laughs> so you know he's legit. We need to talk to you about that. Um, and then for anyone that isn't in, so that's in London, if you are uh, not in the UK and, and, and aren't able to travel to meet, but you do want to experience um, some of Ollie's uh, coaching and training, we do have um, an online course together, the Movement and Mobility Masterclass inside of the virtual classroom where um, if you've got the internet, then you, you can 
and uh, you can get access to that and you can do all of the training uh, there's training programs in there there's uh, all the video tutorials obviously for those exercises and it's that's not just upper body stuff for your sort of handstands your your human flags and your muscle ups it also includes stuff for your back bridges for your pancakes um so there's a whole load of uh, hip and spinal mobility in there as well so if you are interested do check that out and we'll put the link again in the show notes for that now i'm keen because ollie's been on the podcast before as to whether he can actually Ooh. remember what he's got to do to sign oh. off the podcast so we're just gonna i'm, I'm gonna go straight i'm gonna throw i'm gonna literally gonna chuck you a grenade so we want to just say a massive thank you to Ollie. Um, it's a, been a massive influence on, on um, well, how we move and, and our practices um, and encouraging us to do more and giving us the tools to do that. And I hope you guys have enjoyed getting a little bit more insight from him um, and understanding a bit more about the methodology behind it. And if you haven't started doing this and investing a little bit more in your physical pension, today is a great day to start that. So do take some action off the back of listening to this. Jack is looking at me. Are you ready for the grenade? So, Ollie, until next time... Schools out. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Schools out. No. Why did we ever say that? We've done this is this is podcast hundred and eleven or twelve or something. I know you've listened to all of them. Why are you playing with us? You know it's class dismissed. Why are you I know playing? Now. Sorry, Rigo, come on. <laughs> Wait, I'm not even cutting this out. <laughs> he's, he's playing. That was a joke. He's playing with us. He's all playing, I know, know. is this is not going to be a third time. <laughs> <laughs> right come on try again you got it come on right jacko off you go well timothy there is nothing else to say in this podcast apart from ollie until next time class dismissed so thank you so much again for listening. We don't take it lightly that you uh, give up probably an hour of your time to listen to these podcasts. So we really do appreciate that. We hope you got a load of value out of it, guys. And we would, if you did, we would love you to do a couple of things for us. One of them is tell other people and share it if you thought that we were adding some value. And also, if you want to, pop over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this and give us a five-star review. We like five stars. Four stars, not as good keep it five are the best five of your best stars please (laughs) and if you would like to find out more about the school of calisthenics and see the best of everything that we have got head over to our virtual classroom you can access it from the website at schoolofcalisthenics.com and that is where we have got literally possibly the best calisthenics resource available anywhere in the world definitely the best one we've done and on that note until next week class dismissed